Welcome back, kiddos, to the Mark Claire Show. This is episode two, and on this edition, I got to speak to a guy who has not done a lot of podcasts. I actually pulled him, not pulled him, I grabbed him, found him, whatever you might want to say, uh, off of Twitter. Uh, he's been doing, as there are many people in this space, the sort of masculinity, uh, personal growth space. I do find a lot of them to be somewhat disingenuous. I don't want to say disingenuous, but let's just say Skylar here, Skylar, today's guest. He really resonated with me in a way a lot of these other people did not because to me, anyway, it seemed like he was coming from a very genuine place with a very genuine story. And that's what I wanted to explore with him today. That's what I do explore with him on today's episode. I got great feedback from episode one. Lots of people hitting me up. There are many ways to do so. Twitter, markclareshow at gmail.com. Oh, those are the main ways, uh, pretty much. But, um, if you didn't hear the full show, that means you're probably not a premium subscriber. I have so many ways you can check out these full editions, which are released early for all my premium subscribers, either on Rockfin, Patreon, or Subscribestar. There are pros and cons to all of them, but I wanted to give you all of the options as I work behind the scenes to eventually uh, build my own web- website, have my own membership program, and skirt around a lot of these platforms. But in the meantime, that's where you can find everything, including the Smoke Filled Room extended segment. I had a real great conversation uh, with Skylar and we got even deeper in the smoke filled room segment so be sure to subscribe to get that full episode but until then here is my interview with Skylar Swall with me today he is a consultant in the relationship and mindset space before today he's to me he's just been a Twitter account but he is actually a real person his name is Skylar Swall Skylar welcome to my show what's going on Mark glad to be here uh, I'm thrilled to have you man and um just to get started, I mean, you know what? I'm just going to read. I actually put aside one of your tweets that I saw recently that I think actually kind of sums up, you know, a lot of what you've been talking about. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to read this tweet and then maybe you can expand on it and tell a little bit of your story of personal growth. Um, yeah, let's do it. it says, my parents divorced when I was 12. Uh, age 12 to 19, I was anxious. In my 20s, I was into drugs and promiscuity. Many of us were. At 27, I slept on a couch. At 28, my heart was shattered by an ex. But now I'm a homeowner, confident, and married to a beautiful woman. So just to put us all in the context, Skylar, how old are you right now? So I'm, I'll be 33 this month. All right. So basically in five years is the time period that we can look at where you've made um, these pretty massive changes in your life. Is that about right? That's approximate. Yeah. Cool. So why don't you just, I mean, I'll let you start wherever it want, wherever you want. If you don't want to get into the childhood stuff too much, you don't have to, or you can totally up to you. But if you could just give us a little bit of the background on, on your early life growing up and, you know, maybe dig into your degenerate twenties a little bit, basically just lay the foundation of, of who you were before you decided to make some very significant changes in your life. Yeah. Um, I think childhood is a good place to start. That's where we all start. Um, I don't think mine was particularly traumatizing on its face. You know, my parents were divorced, much like half of the rest of the country and, and families in the West in general. Um, but my dad was still around. You know, he he still provided for us financially. Um, I was able to play all the sports that I wanted. Um, plugged into a good school district. Um, no no overt problems there whatsoever. Um, I think there's something to be said for. Um, a broken home feeding into anxieties that young men and women may face uh, more so than they would if their parents were together and if they knew where they come from. So I think that that was still an obstacle that I had to, to work through. Um, And like many. Did you think that anxiety, I just want to dig into that a little more. Do you think that anxiety comes from, you know, 
that uncertainty maybe of seeing, you know, if you don't have two parents are together, if you don't have that stability that that's showing you the way that's, that's kind of above you. I mean, as a teenager, who's always trying to figure things out and I'm just kind of trying to stick myself in your shoes here, but as, when you're at the, the age as a teenager, it's confusing when you're in a regular situation. So I, I can't imagine, you know, when you're in a little less of a stable situation and you don't have that guiding light, it must be so much more confusing to think and, and so much more uh, create so much more anxiety because of course, you're going to be uncertain about the future when the future of those you look up to is so uncertain and, and the present of those you look up to is so uncertain. Yeah, I think anxiety is, is very closely associated with the, with the unknown. And one uh, note of stability that you're supposed to be able to rely on is your, your heritage, is your parents, is your family. And when that starts to splinter, it, it only opens the, opens the dam that much more to, to the unknown, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. How did that lead you into what you've described, not just in this tweet, but I've seen you talk about it quite a bit um, into like your degenerate twenties, where did the degeneracy begin? And, and I, I assume like many of us, like whether it's, you know, your first beer, your per- first puff, puff of a cigarette, maybe the first one comes from peer pressure or a friend offering it to you. But after that you realize, Oh, this provides me relief. This relieves some of that anxiety. So I have to imagine that that's the factor here. Yeah, I, I haven't quite parsed out um, the the equation exactly, but it's from what I can recall, it started with uh, curiosity and um, and a desire to belong. You know, you want to be part of the crowd that's at the top of the hierarchy, right? You want to be one of the cool kids. You want to be invited to the parties. You want to be um, a part of the adventure that that young young kids are going through and. A lot of the time, that adventure is is wandering into experimenting with psychedelics, experimenting with uh, amphetamines, experimenting with alcohol, experimenting with all sorts of thrill seeking. That um, once you get through the other side, it um, wasn't really productive. You start to realize, and and that's that's probably the best outcome that you could hope for. Is it wasn't really productive and you really were just spinning your wheels, but it doesn't typically get you anywhere, at least in my experience. And I think we're seeing a trend of a lot of people coming to that realization as well. Um, But yeah, it started as a curiosity um, that I think would not have been as, as powerful had I had a more stable example at home. Um, and, and maybe some, some patient guidance as I navigated those temptations. It just, it's just not there in, in a home that's broken more or less. Mm-hmm. What did you get into? I guess the most, <laughs> what, what really sucked you? Was it drinking? Was it drugs? Was it strippers? I know you've mentioned that in a few tweets, yeah. uh, that you used to sort of, uh, promulgate those clubs quite a bit. Um, and so, and you, you tweeted a bit that, about this stuff, so I'm sure it's fine to talk about, but what, yeah. what, what really captured you the most within all that? No, what really captured me the most was probably female attention. Mm-hmm. It was probably the validation of being able to be with beautiful women. Um, I, I played with all sorts of other substances and, and other sorts of of thrill seeking avenues, but, but it was the validation of women that I stuck with the most. And, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's something about it. I, I think that word validation is, is at the root of it. And again, that's not where you're supposed to get it, but that's, that was my primary avenue to, to seek it was in women. So would you, how much of 
your sort of can you can you describe maybe your attitude towards women a little bit more? I mean, did you perhaps did you have this attitude? Maybe this is partially growing up in sort of a broken home that like I'm not going to get married or anything. Uh, you know, whatever. I'm just going to have fun. So when you frame things that way, and maybe I'm projecting because that's kind of how I was for a while. Um, you know, when you frame things that way, it doesn't mean you necessarily disrespect women, but you're not looking at them in the same way as a man should be, as a man should be looking for a mate. Right. Yeah. So, so at the time there, there, I wasn't that conscious of my motivations. All I knew is that flirting felt good female attention felt good. Um, it was making me feel powerful and competent and capable. Um, that thrill of romancing a girl and, and getting her to come home with you. Um, it's, it's exciting. No, no man would deny that. Um, but you have to place that in its proper context. There's, you know, women are human beings are, as well. They, most of them are motivated to find a stable man and settle down and have families. Um, and it's really unfortunate now that now both sexes are forgetting that obvious concept. Mm -hmm. And we think that we can turn to each other for this, this surface level validation. Oh, I can get somebody and, and they can make me feel good, but there's no depth or journey together after that. And a lot of experiences in your, in your college days, that was my experience at least. And I think that's common. Yeah, I think it's especially for young men and you're you were a young man and so was I once and uh so that's the only perspective I can really speak from uh is is from that side of things but I think a lot of young men at least those of us that did for whatever reason um didn't have marriage at the front of our minds weren't necessarily seeking a life mate or someone that was going to fulfill the roles of a spouse that's just looking to sort of have a good time or, and maybe that sounds a little too surface level, but you know, you're, you're not looking for something deep or you're not thinking in a deep way, even if you think you are. And I think that's something I've noticed. I used to think I was looking for certain things in a woman about her personality and this and that. But I found that now when I look back, even that was very surface level. It wasn't really about the, the qualities that would foster a good family or, or even a good relationship. Did you, did you see something different or something similar? I should say in, in the way you, you, you interacted with women as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to describe exactly, exactly that. Um, because I, I think too, like for many of us, I can say this now, you know, as, as almost like I've left my own body, like I've left that body of 10 years ago. So I can clearly see how I was looking at things then. But I, I think when you're actually in that point, when you're actually there, you're not necessarily processing it, processing it in that way. You're just kind of going through life. You know, you're just reacting. And, and you, like you said, when a woman reacts to you with attention, that creates, you know, that creates, uh, I don't know if it's dopamine or whatever it is. It creates that, that good feeling that says I should keep doing this. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of a hamster wheel. You kind of get stuck on it yeah. and you don't really think about why are you on that hamster wheel? Mm -hmm. And I think you reach a point on that hamster wheel that you realize, okay, all I'm doing is running and it was fun at first, but now I'm kind of getting tired and, um, I need to get off and replenish myself. Um, and other human beings aren't meant to be your hamster wheel. It's, it's relationships and intimacy and sex is, is meant for something more than that. It's not meant for uh, exercise for the sake of exercise. You have to be going somewhere together. Um, and 
I think the reason that I was stuck on that hamster wheel for so long is because I was seeking that validation, back to the word validation, in the wrong place. You're not going to get it from female approval. You're not going to get validation from being with one, two, ten, however many. It's You're not going to get it from a woman. It comes from somewhere else, and it just took me a while to figure that out. And it clearly is something that's sort of ingrained in us because, I mean, from the time we are interacting with women when you're a teenager or whatever. Maybe it starts a little more innocent when you're 15 or 16. Oh, did you kiss Sally or whatever it may be? And then by the time we're in our 20s, we're not just talking about kissing anymore. And we're, you know, we're bragging about it. And it's because to our fellow bros or whatever it may be, that is an accomplishment. It's actually something to achieve that a woman provides you that kind of attention. That's cool. It's cool. It's a good thing. It is a good thing, but it has to be in its proper context. When did you, what, what in your life, was there a certain moment that caused you to decide or maybe just realize in the first place that you're even on a hamster wheel, uh, let alone what made you decide not only am I, am I, do I realize I'm on this hamster wheel, but that I got to get off it. Yeah. I think, I think I just reached, um, a breaking point. I had so many relationships that were almost there. I had so many encounters with beautiful girls that were almost, almost what I think I needed, but for whatever reason, it wasn't working. Um, and I, I, I was, went through a brutal breakup at 24 and then I went through another brutal breakup at 27, 28. And that's the, that's related to the pin tweet that you just read off a moment ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that pain demanded a response. I was like, okay, there's clearly something that is not clicking for me. And there's clearly a way that I'm interacting with myself and with people that I'm trying to love that's, or, or at least spend time with that's, that's not working. Um, so I really had to look deep and, and cultivate some mentors that could act as a sounding board and, and a guide, um, and present perspectives that were just not available to me on my own. Can, can you pinpoint like specifically why that breakup at 28 or maybe the one 24, why those were particularly painful to you as someone who was promiscuous, as someone who'd been with a good amount of women, um, as someone who had a lot of one night stands, why were those particular relationships? Was it, was it like, was it maybe the opposite of what you were saying before? Was it like, it, it took away the validation that, that you had been given by those women? Yeah, I think that's it. I think it took away the validation. Um, I think subconsciously the women realized that that's what I had them in my life for. Mm. Um, and that wasn't working for them either. And they had to get out of there and they are well within their rights to do that. Cause that's not what they're for. They're not, they're not my, my, for lack of a better word, toys to seek validation or, or to get a thrill out of. They're a human being that that desires and, and is entitled to or has a right to connection and depth as well. When you have this realization, when you kind of get into this tremendous place of pain um, and you decide, all right, I'm going to break out of it. What are the first steps then? Like, how do you because I look, I've I and I know others who have been in situations where they have to break out of something. They realize they have to. Um, but it's not as easy as as deciding that. Um, sometimes you can realize you need to change something. And then three days later, you're like, well, 
What's, what's one puff? What's one, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to get it back into yeah. a cycle. So how, how did you make that decision not to just change for a week, <laughs> not to just, but to really change your life? Yeah. I think I was blessed enough to have, have a few people around me that were willing to reach out their hand when I was struggling or when it was obvious that I was struggling. Um, there's a meme that says no one's coming to save you. And I hadn't found that at that point, but more or less, that's what I had realized. Uh, I remember having a, an epiphany um, about having a connection with, with my dad. I was like, okay, he has his own issues. He's not going to do it. But if this is an important connection to me, and I think if I can learn something from him, I'm going to have to be the one to reach out. So it's an adoption of responsibility. Oh, it might not be my fault that I've become this person because of my various traumas in my history, but now it's my responsibility. So that was a, that was a huge key. Um, and second of all, just just paying attention to who's available, to who you admire, and having the courage to put yourself out there, admit what you don't know, be vulnerable, and and say, "Hey, I'm struggling here, and I need some help." So, so connection and having the courage to to put yourself out there in the hopes that it's facilitated are are probably step one and two. So for you anyway, like who, how are you putting that out there? Like, who are you, did you find people that kind of served as mentors for you? Or I mean, like in what way were you doing that, that sort of made sure that you were being accountable to, to make these changes? Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's Twitter is, I think the best app on the planet, <laughs> if you use it right, if you're lucky enough to find um, a tweet that resonates with you, somebody that's speaking about about real issues, not surface level politics, not surface level um, social justice issues, not surface level. And I'm not saying that these things aren't important, but I'm saying- If you leave Twitter angry every day, you're using it wrong. <laughs> you're using it wrong. There's an, there's an order to what, how, what things you need to address in your life. And the global scale is the last thing you need to focus on. And maybe your life is so miserable because you're focusing on these things that are five steps away from where you are now. Um, and I was really lucky to find a few people that were talking about, you need to work on your wealth. You need to work on your health. You need to work on your relationships. You need to work on your performance. And then out from that, the world will improve. So I was really lucky to, to cultivate one or two or three online relationships and be courageous enough, if I may be so bold to, to say about myself, to put myself out there to these people. And they were able to give me really constructive advice. And it's not just online. There's several people in, in my, my neighborhood in real life that I went out to and, and shared myself with. And they were able to steer me in the direction that I was hoping to grow. But for whatever reason, there were, there were blocks in front of. What are the qualities that some of these people shared? Because I think that's an important thing. You don't, probably don't, don't just want to pick three random friends from a hat and, and, and kind of use yeah. those people as your sounding boards and the people that are going to hold you accountable. So like, what are some of the qualities somebody should look for when trying to seek these people out? Like, like, you know, is, should it be just your best friend, no matter what, or sh should you actually maybe seek people that you don't know as, as, as well in your own life? That's, that's a great question. I, I don't, I hope it can be your best friend. Well, yeah, my, maybe it shouldn't be your best friend if, if you can't, but <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it could be that person. 
but there's probably a reason that person hasn't helped you with what you need help with yet. Maybe you can go both get to that point eventually, but a more constructive way to go about it is, yeah, don't just reach out to anybody because you don't know what issues they have and if their advice like is don't, any good. Don't call your friend who you go to the strip club with, for example. Right, right. Don't call your friend that you go to the strip club with. Look around you. Take stock of where you want to go in life and take stock of who you admire. Like Jordan Peterson took off in 2016 for a reason. Like the guy has his problems, but he's also in, incredibly wise and works very hard and cares very deeply about young men and women and their families. Um, and if you're lucky enough to have a relationship with him, that's a guy I would talk to. I didn't get to speak with him directly, but I've been following his content for a long time. Um, but I were able to reach out to some smaller accounts online who are in a similar space, masculine excellence, masculine self-improvement. And the fruit of their lives is obvious. They have um, stable, fulfilling relationships. They have families. Um, they have a six pack. If you want to get in shape, like talk to the person that has the body that you want to have. Talk to the man that has the wife you want to have. Talk to the, the, um, what a professional that's successful in the professional endeavor that you want to, that you want to have. Seek those people out and learn from them. They're going to have some keys that you just haven't gotten a hold of yet for you maybe we can uh, run through like some of the specifics of i feel like there's a few different sort of vectors here that that all tie into just improving yourself overall and they kind of play off each other but i think one that sometimes people might push aside because it's in many ways the most difficult is the physical is just the physical um just changing what your body does what your physical body does every day um so maybe you can walk through some of the changes that you made um because i mean you can, you went from being you know using drugs um being promiscuous i assume with all that time maybe you went to the gym but you probably didn't do it as hard or as often or as as a as a focus as as one should uh if they're going to so maybe you can focus on that physical aspect first because at the end of all this or i'm not sure when this actually was you actually participated in, in an mma fight and won is that correct is that correct well, it was a kickboxing match kickboxing okay yeah so and you pretty won? close yeah i won all right it was awesome That's impressive it was, it was an incredible experience yeah i can speak to that so my relationship with fitness has been really weird i've always since i was a baby been fascinated with sports my first word was ball most people are mom and dad my first word was ball I've been a baller from day one. So, <laughs> but for whatever reason, I'll reach a pinnacle and then I'll rest on those laurels and I'll fall into complacency, get out of shape, lose the edge of my skills. And I, I still do it. So after my fight, I regained a lot of the weight that I lost and it was devastating. And it's not the first time I've done that. You know, in my early twenties, I dropped from Back when I was a leaner, younger man, you know, didn't quite have my man, my man size frame yet. Just from a bone structure perspective, I went from 207 pounds down to 178. I was lean. I was like a, I used to be a tennis player. I was a squirrel on the tennis court. I was so fast. Um, but then I would reach a certain level of ability and then be like, okay, I'm satisfied. And then drop off again. Because you're not looking at it as an ongoing process. You're looking at it as a an end goal. So when you hit the end goal, it's like, Oh, all right, now I can take a break. Yeah. Finally go grab a drink. Yeah. Yeah. Which I believe is the wrong perspective. If you want to master any sport or any craft, you have to, you have to consistently apply. You have to consistently train. 
Um, and that's something that I'm still sorting out. That's a very recent epiphany that I've had. Um, but this is something that I've struggled with for the last decade. Um, but this most recent time, uh, yeah, I was able to lose 42 pounds. I trained for a kickboxing match. Uh, I was absolutely brutalized in the fighting camp. My, we call him professor in, in mixed martial arts culture. You call jujitsu black belts professor. I, I texted my professor and I said, Hey, I want to take part in this fight camp. And he said back to me, you're not ready. And I said, I want to do this anyway. What was that part of it for you? Was like the the knowledge of knowing you're not ready, like almost why you wanted to do it? I was 30 years old at the time and I knew my clock was ticking and I don't have my window of opportunity to become like a collegiate or pro athlete had closed. But I have, you know, I'm 33 this month. I probably have seven, nine more years of of solid athletic until you're 42 ability. like me <laughs> <laughs> and, and you don't have the to stop just worked out perfect there <laughs> yeah you don't have to stop at 42 but i had I, I realized at 30 i was like all right the window's about to close like if you ever want to do this now's the time and you're gonna have to grab a hold of your nuts and go mm-hmm. and it was scary this is something that people in our culture i don't think understand as well as maybe we did 200 years ago anxiety is normal Everybody has it. The trick is to find a way to move through it so that you can get what you want. And on the other side of that, you're fulfilled. It's almost um, it's almost the curse of being a human. We're cursed with the knowledge of the future. We know that we need to plan for things. We know that our death is coming eventually. Most animals aren't burdened or blessed, depending on how you want to look at it with that. And But what comes with that is the anxiety about that future. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I just had that epiphany. I was like, it's, it's now or never. And I just, it, I realize it's going to hurt, but this is something that I really want to prove to myself. And uh, I went for it. And it was the, to this day, best experience that I've ever had in my life. Just to back up a little, how did you choose jujitsu originally? Had you done that prior to like when you decided to turn things around? Or was that someone something you were encouraged to do by one of these mentors? So it was Muay Thai. Muay Thai is, um, is, is Thai boxing. It's kickboxing, more or less. But the purists will get mad that I describe it that way. Uh, but it's it's a striking art: punches, kicks, knees, elbows. So no grappling. It's all getting hit and hitting. Yeah, it's all punches and kicks. Um, and for me, it was just just intrinsic interest. I'm interested in jujitsu, um, and that's something that I'll still explore. Maybe it's because I know I can handle head damage a little bit better when I'm younger. Hmm. Um, maybe it's just because I think it's cooler. But I think that's important. Like, don't. If you can help yourself, don't think too deeply. It's kind of contradictory to what I was saying earlier, but don't think too deeply about um, a healthy pursuit. Right? It's interesting. Okay, you're not you're not passionate. I wasn't passionate. I put it off until I was thirty. I wasn't passionate, hmm. but I was interested, and I for some reason I knew it was important. So I was like, okay, let's go. Let's do it. Let's explore this. Let's find. Let's find out why this is important. And I did. And it was incredible. Tell me a little bit more about your first fight. I mean, is it, was this a professional fight? Like, I mean, what's the what's the circumstances here? Yeah, so you can't you can't have a you can't have a professional fight right out the gate in the United States. Okay. You can do that in Thailand if you're seven years old, you'll get paid. Um, but in the United States, you have to go through the amateur ranks first. And um, yeah, so I had been training for I don't know four or five months at this at this MMA school. Um, and then 
an opportunity arose to to enter a fight camp and, and compete in a fight in my first amateur fight eight other guys came up with me all these guys were between 16 and i think the next oldest guy was the next oldest guy was 32 he was about the same age as me so a fight camp is that just where a bunch of guys go to get ready to enter an amateur competition yeah that's, that's a great question so so the school the gym in general you just go and train anybody's welcome but if you want to fight you should be showing up every day anyway, just to keep your skills sharp. But when it's time to fight, that's when you do a fight camp, which is generally eight to 12 weeks. I think mine was 10 weeks and you show up every single day. Um, so, so part of the process for me was two, two mile runs every day. Um, show up at least 30 minutes before class and get in 400 kicks on the bag. And then you enter class and you spar twice a week uh one day's light sparring which i just think i conceptualize as playing tag with each other's faces and then hard sparring on saturdays which is uh strap up we're gonna we're gonna fight and you're actually fighting for those those 10 weeks in preparation for your fight and i took so much more damage in the lead up to my fight in the fight camp broke my nose got dropped with i don't know how many liver shots exhausted every single Saturday, just totally wiped out. Um, so by the time I got to my fight, I had total knowledge that I've already been through it. I've already, I've already fought. I'm in the best shape of my life. Whatever comes at me, whatever this guy can give me, I've already taken it. Let's go. So it kind of just freed you from the worry. Like worst case, I get beat up again, right? Yeah. Which I've done. I mean, there's a few more people there. There's a few more people watching, but I've already been dropped in front of, you know, 50 people in my gym. All the people that are closest to me have already seen it. You know, I would, I came home with, you know, half my head swollen and my nose broken and, and my wife already saw the result of me getting beat up. Right. <laughs> so I, I'd already been through the adversity of the fight camp and there's something about mustering the will to go through that and going through that, that gives you the courage to do it again. And the confidence and the confidence comes from that. That's how you become confident is embracing that resistance is understanding that there's going to be pain and doing it anyway, because you want it. That's confidence. Tell me a little bit more about, I'm really fascinated by this. Like how, how did the fight itself go? Um, was it a decisive victory or I mean, was this a competitive matchup? No, it was a decisive victory. Um, so I can't, I don't know too much about my opponent's history. Um, he was a little too vocal before the fight, um, about his skills. Um, he'd been boxing for seven years, but he'd only been kicks, kickboxing for one. So I thought to myself, okay, your hands are dangerous, but you might have a weakness in regards to the legs. Mm -hmm. My strength is kicks. I was very good at kicks. Um, so we devised a game plan 30 minutes before my fight, which you don't get an opportunity to do in the amateurs because most amateurs aren't on YouTube. They're not on TV. They're not, you don't know what you're getting yourself right, into, right. right? You only know about the famous fighters and their skills and their strategies when they're 20 fights deep. But I was blessed to have this opportunity. He was, and I saw the, saw my opponent training on the other side of the gym. He didn't, get behind a curtain or anything so i know what i was working with very skilled boxer i was in trouble if it was all hands mm -hmm. um but it's kickboxing so 
I was able to devise a game plan where I kept him away with teeps and push kicks, which are kind of like the jabs and the crosses of, of your legs. And then I just threw a couple combos and then I would throw up a leg kick or a head kick. And I ran through the guy. It was, it was incredible. He didn't go down. He was tough as nails. Didn't knock him out. We went all three rounds and I've never been so exhausted in my life. The guy, the guy was, was solid. So he, he could so take tough. the punishment, but, but you, but you want it. Yeah. He could take the punishment, but he just didn't quite. And this, this is what it comes down to. If, if you're, if your will is even, if your willpowers are even, if your um, toughness is even, if your endurance is even, it's going to come down to who's got the better skills and got the better uh, tactics. And did, have you continued to train or was it more like did you accomplished the fight and then got away from it? What, how much have you stayed involved? Uh, so I have dropped off a little bit. I, I, I'm not in near as good a shape as I was. I'm considering doing it again just because of how incredible the experience was. Uh, and I'm still young enough to, to do something like that. Um, I'm not in horrible shape, but I'm not in elite fighter shape anymore. Um, but I have stayed involved every, at least every Wednesday I go in and spar because I don't want to lose that edge. I still want to prove to myself, okay, I can go in there and know I'm going to get punched in the head and do it anyway. So there's something about that that's maintaining my confidence, but that's not enough to, to maintain elite levels of fitness. And I'm not developing. I'm just not losing my edge right now because I'm busy focusing on other projects. I think that's, that's important to understand is you can only have so many priorities at one time. Um, so I've let my fitness slide a little bit while I focus on, um, other projects. One more question just on, on the fitness end, but, uh, could you explain to people that might not have been before, <laughs> um, the value of being punched in the face <laughs> of learning to be punched in the face? You got to do it. There's something, there's something so constructive about it. Like it's, it's hard to articulate. If you got, if you gave me more time, I could probably come up with a really good reason. Maybe I'll write a, <laughs> a thread about it. All right, maybe I'll inspire um, you. To, to, yeah, to you, you already inspired me. That's great. So yeah, no, there's absolutely value to getting punched in the face. Um, cause you can get back up. I think is, is one of the biggest things, probably the biggest things you get knocked out. You can wake up and try again. You can respond. Just like Chumba right. Wamba said, you get knocked out, you get back up again. That's an old reference. I might be older than you. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think so, we're pretty close. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, but that, that is actually a good segue into just talking about some of these other areas. So um, it wasn't just the physical changes that you made in your life. But again, I think this stuff all, all does tie together. When you're making physical changes, that takes discipline. And when you're learning discipline, you can then apply those area, that discipline to other areas of life. So maybe you can expand on that, how you've applied the dis discipline that it takes to become uh, an amateur fighter to even have one fight takes a tremendous amount of discipline. How have you applied that to other areas of life, whether it's financial or, or otherwise? They, they all kind of happened happened in tandem. I, I more or less, you know, there was a, a slight variation in the order, but insofar as getting financially stable or more stable than I was, um, getting physically fit, um, dialing in my relationship health with my now wife, all of those things happened very parallel. And I don't think it was so much discipline that I learned in the fight and in the fight camp. I think it was more learning the importance of a why and how it sustains you through challenging times. Because I've always had discipline. Like when I look back on my life, 10 years before my fight, I was disciplined and lost 30 pounds before that. Mm. But that's why I would stop and gain weight. 
or and stop and do drugs or break up with a girl and then be promiscuous again because I didn't understand the why that would sustain me through the challenging times. That's something that really clicked in the fight, in the fight camp. The why is what allows you to be disciplined. So you, you hear these guys like David Goggins and Jocko Willink, who I think are incredible examples and people do and should look up to them. But a problem that they're not addressing that Peterson Jordan Peterson gets closer to addressing is the why. Why should you be disciplined? Why should you do this? It's not so obvious when Goggins and Jocko Willing talk about it. Mm. Um, they, but they've already got those bases covered. And maybe it's subconscious. Their why is subconscious. Or they can just settle for, I think that's badass. And I want to do that. that. That's not the kind of creature I am. Really have to understand my why before I can commit to something um, with that much determination. How would you def- how would you define that why for yourself if if you had to do it just in a sentence for the fight? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, for the fight, I was thinking, or you could apply it to how that how that same reasoning applies to everything else. Or you just conceptually, you need the why for any for anything you're going to be doing. Actually, the why was pretty holistic. The why was I want to be able to provide for and protect my family. So why did I get my money right? Because I want to provide for my family. Why did I get punched in the face. So I wanted to make sure I could handle it. So I can, if it ever happens, I can protect myself and my family. So then why don't we go to how and where you created that family? Um, how, how did you meet your wife? And like, I'm curious where you were. Cause obviously this is a journey. You didn't, you didn't get broken up with a 28 and then the next day wake up with a whole new view of women or, or what a relationship should be for you or what the right, right, right woman would be like. So uh, could you maybe take me on that journey a little bit and, and how your thought process changed and how you where on that pathway you met your wife? Because I know for me, it was, I, I mean, for me, meeting my wife actually rocketed me along the journey so much further. Yeah. Um, but these things can go in sort of different directions. Yeah, it was, it was definitely in tandem. So we met at work and I knew I wanted her, but she had a boyfriend at the time. So I knew at that time that you don't just wait around for a girl. There's other girls out there. Go find one. I'm glad that wasn't your advice. Yes, because that would be terrible advice. <laughs> right. I've done it before. So, it doesn't work very well for anybody. No, it doesn't, doesn't work very well. Go, if, you, there's, if there's a girl you like, but she's already taken. Go, go find another girl you like. <laughs> go find another girl you like. There's another one. Yeah. Um, I did that. Um, but I liked that girl for the wrong reasons. That girl is the one that shattered my heart. Um, And as I recovered from that, there were a series of epiphanies. Um, One is I'm looking in the wrong place for the wrong reasons. And I was really deep into Jordan Peterson this time, learning a lot about Jungian psychology, uh, psychology in general. You know, why do we do these things? Why do we react this way? Um, And it was really mind blowing how my mind was, how my life was lining up with the lessons I was learning. I don't think it was coincidental. There was something in my subconscious that was seeking out these answers to the problems that had been haunting me for a decade. Um, so I've, I just realized like, okay, I got to stop dating girls like this for this reason. Um, and I realized I, I wanted a, a more wholesome woman in my life. Um, and met that girl in my now wife 
And uh, I was so blessed to also find in her a woman that wouldn't settle for or tolerate those behaviors that, mm. that had led to so much pain for myself. So she, she helped me in that regard. She was, she was able to say, hey, no, I'm not going to put up with the way you're talking uh, about this. I'm not going to put up with, you know, certain sexual activities. Um, and if you want me, I, I respect myself. I'm not going to, not going to bend to these destructive behaviors. Um, and good for her. And that, that had a profound effect on me, you know, with what I was learning about, about psychology and about faithfulness and, and about living a fulfilling life. Um, I had the utmost respect for what she was asking me and it was not easy. It was not an easy journey. Old habits die hard. Um, but I knew that if I was going to have the life that I knew I wanted when I was younger, I would have to overcome the destructive habits that I'd developed over a decade. And she did help me do that. Even just, just hearing you describe her saying that, like it, it just feels like such a position of strength for her, like on her end, like that's such a strong thing to do. Like I have, I've known, I know many women that put up with shit like that, like bullshit because they think they're supposed to, or they think, you know, this is what society is. Ah, boys will be boys, whatever. Uh, and it, it really does like take a lot of strength, which I'm sure is part of why your relationship is so strong for both of you to just actually say, I want to be with you. But not like this. Not if you do X, Y, Z things, because that's not yeah. okay. that's not what's going to make our our relationship strong. And you you both have to have the courage to say that. You, if you want to get what you want out of a relationship, and if you want it to be sustained, you have to be brave enough. And I I had this problem too. She, there were some things that she was doing, despite how unreproachable she was in some things. There were some some things that she was doing that I wasn't cool with. And before, I would have let it slide with past exes. This time, I was like, no, this is the direction that I want to go. If you can't get on board, maybe we're not going to work out. And we need to cut our losses before before we get too deep and really hurt each other. It's got to be a horrifying thing to have to say. I mean, when you yeah. feel like you found this person you love, but it, it is like you have to lay boundaries out. And yeah, some of those are going to be the dividing lines. And and yes, there is a chance that the boundary won't be acceptable, and then the relationship will have to not work. But it's that's a much better constant, a much better um, you know, pathway to take than you never approach it. You keep going with the relationship, and guess what? Eventually, the relationship's not going to work anyway. It's either going to end or you're going to be miserable, one or the other. Yep, yep. That's what I did not learn, or that's what I experienced in the first two relationships, first two major relationships in my life that really messed me up. Finally, learned my lesson on this one. And it's working out. It's working beautifully. Mm -hmm. It's not without its struggles. That's what people don't understand. <laughs> Once you get married, Absolutely. Like, you're not done as long as you're on this earth. You're going to have work to do between the two of you. Yeah. And I, I think that parallels just, you know, <clears throat> your individual life too. And I think that's, I think that's often why we can fall back into old habits. Cause like you mentioned earlier, you accomplish something and then you think I did it. Okay. I, I, I won the fight. Time to chill out. I got the girl time to chill out. And it's not, it's time to level up. You know, it, it, you got the girl. Well then time to maximize things now. Cause now you have a partner. Now you have double the strength, you know? So you don't want to go the other way. You know, you don't want to get in worse shape. Life's going to send you new challenges. There's, there's levels to this. Mm -hmm. There's a challenge at each level and it's, there's going to be a point of resistance when you're single the point of resistance is approaching the girl. When you're, when you're in the relationship, sorting out 
how to behave with each other. When you have kids, how to parent those kids together. You know, God willing, I get to that phase. I'm still in the early stages of marriage, finding the sweet spot of how to be with each other. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting and it's challenging. But I made this commitment. And that's something that took me a decade to understand. Once you make the commitment, once you decide that's what you want in fitness, in relationships, in your profession, go. Don't stop. You can rest, but don't stop. Well, one more thing I want to touch on, uh, and you've mentioned, I think, in, in some of your tweets too, just like part of your daily habits, things to do every day to sort of keep yourself in the right mindset. And one thing you do often mention is uh, reading the Bible. And I know there are probably a lot of people that could be listening to this podcast up until this point and might be nodding their head like, totally, totally get what this guy's saying. He's totally on, on point. I don't know if I need to read the Bible too. So, you know, maybe I can't, I just like work out and do this, all this other stuff. And yes, you can, but I, for you, I'm just curious what, as, as someone who's seen, you mentioned this a number of times, why you think making that a part of your habit really helps your mindset, but also just generally speaking, the role of spirituality and how that has played sort of in your entire growth process here. Yeah. This might be the most challenging for me to articulate because I'm not through the Bible yet. Um, I've decided me that neither. I'm a Christian. I didn't, yeah. I didn't read it when I was a kid and I'm, I'm doing the same thing. So we're on, we're on, we're on the same page here. Right. So I've decided that I am a Christian, um, that I believe in Jesus Christ. Um, and that's not uh, a surface level, uh, profess with my lips. Um, Jesus is my homeboy kind of, kind of, uh, exclamation. It's no, I, I do believe that he is the, is God in the flesh. Um, and you know, all the orthodox understandings of who Christ was, that's, that's what I ascribe to. I, I don't know the exact mechanisms and the exact details of how it works. Um, still sorting that out, still asking questions myself, um, still searching the scriptures and listening to podcasts and watching sermons and going to church, uh, and just trying to ask challenging questions that have been around for 2000 years. The answers are out there. You have to be willing to search for them in earnest. And some answers are better those questions than others. Um, that was quite a bit of a tangent, but oh, no, it's all good. Everything's a tangent. Everything, everything's a tangent because everything connects ultimately. Yeah, um, absolutely. What, absolutely. Uh, were you raised religious at all, or is this something you, you found later in life? I would say nominally. Nominally, I was raised religious. I was baptized when I was thirteen into an offshoot of the Mormon Church, um, and. How I remember it, it was really just a casual approach. Um, and then when I was in high school, I would go to youth groups. I would go to, you know, men's night. I would play dodgeball at the church. Love that. That's a great evangelism tool. Churches out there, if you're if you're watching, you know, bring dodgeball back. And uh, when I went off to college, I did what a lot of people do in college. Um, got a little got a little weird. Um, stopped going to church. Um, but I never was atheist. Yeah. I never it's went. It's hard through. to roll yourself out of bed to church uh, when you've been partying till six in the morning. Or yeah, yeah. I was never. I was never atheist, but I, I was probably agnostic. Is 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 the word to use? I just wasn't thinking about it. I had other priorities, and, and if you've been paying attention for the last hour, those weren't the most constructive priorities. It took me a long time to realize that. Hopefully, people watching this might it, it might facilitate a click earlier for them. Um. So yeah, I, was, I would say nominally spiritual. Um, what does what does that even mean? No, I, I know what you mean. There is, there is something there. I mean, I think there's a you know sometimes you hear like spiritual, not religious, which is kind of cringe. But I, there is something to that to just 
having a belief in the spiritual or the spirit realm, but not necessarily having ironed your beliefs out yet. Yeah. But I, I, I think there's a danger in approaching it as casually as I did. I mm-hmm. mean, that's yeah. evidenced by the food of my life for the last 10 years. And it's only started to get better because I'm taking this stuff so much more seriously. Um, and <clears throat> I'm reading scripture and I'm reading apologetics and I'm trying to figure out what's true and what's not. And, and, and the reason I'm going to church on Sundays, if you can find a good church, the reason it's so good for you is it calls you out. What I've found is I need to be called out. Like, yeah, let me know when I'm headed for, for the ditches on either sides of the road. Right. Cause you can get too tyrannical. You can get abusive. You can get hyper patriarchal. You can get, you can abdicate. You can get too slothful. You can get too lazy. Um, you got to find that sweet spot. And the stories in the Bible help you stay on track. And church fathers that live lives beyond reproach can help you stay on track. Listen to what they have to say. And when they call you out in their sermon, they're not going to call you out specifically. It might feel like it. But when they call you out, recognize that's a problem. People don't like this word. You probably need to repent for it. Say sorry for it. Admit that it was wrong. And then let it go. Understand that you've been forgiven. Jesus did die for your, die, die for your sins. I know that's cliche, but it's, it's working for me. And I think that's more than a utilitarian statement. I don't believe it because it works. Maybe I do. Still working it out. Still working it out. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting too, because that, that's one thing, like mentioning Jordan Peterson, that's one thing he often kind of says, actually. He says, he it's almost like a utilitarian take of his sometimes. He's like, you know, yeah. th- there's lessons here that if you apply them to real life, they work. And he, I think he says something to, along the uh, different versions of Jordan Peterson, but I think he said something along the lines of like, you know, I, I don't know if this is, if God is real and if this is true, but I act as if it is, but you have already, have already taken it kind of a step further than that. I mean, you said, you know, I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm, I, I took it one step farther. Thank God for Jordan Peterson. I love that guy. Um, I wish the best for his family, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to go ahead and jump over that chasm, which is the unknown, which is, I don't know if Jesus is, who he says he is, if the church is who he said he is historically. I don't know. I don't know every detail, every thought, every um, every mechanism in my wife's brain, but I choose to trust her. Hmm. That's an interesting way to look at it. Right? I don't know how it all exactly works, but I'm going to choose to trust Jesus Christ and do what he says to do with my life. It's working out pretty well so far. Honestly, I know you're just on your journey a bit too, but that's probably the the one of the more clear ways anyone has ever explained faith to me. Because it's always it's often a block for me where I'm like, I I can get to this point, but I you lose me at the faith thing sometimes. But that was right. actually a really interesting way to explain it. I trust my way. I don't know what's going on in there, like, but I I have a hundred percent trust in her, you know. So and I can't fully explain. And I couldn't write it, make a chart or a graph and show you a mathematical <laughs> equation as to why. Yeah. Right. 
Well, that's really interesting, Skylar. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit more just like about what you're doing? Um, I know you've been mostly just building up your Twitter account and fi- getting the attention of people like me who your message really is resonating with. Um, but why don't you just let everybody know uh, how they can contact you and, you know, how you're trying to help other young men out there. Uh, maybe skip like a decade of degeneracy, perhaps. Yeah, no, I think that would be really good. You should probably do that. Um, if you have any questions about how, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I just launched a membership community called The Ascendant. Um, That's a pretty archetypal word. Um, And the idea is to help each other ascend, to rise up out of the depths of depression, sadness, anxiety, um, avoidant and hostile behavior, video games, porn, scrolling social media, masturbation, useless hookups. I don't want you to have to go through that. But in order to do that, you have to cultivate mentors and brothers that can act as a sounding board and and will keep you accountable so surrounding yourself with like-minded people with similar values is the key to doing that so the service that i'm providing to facilitate it is the ascendant so if you go to my twitter page there's a link right there if you're interested give it a shot i'm fully convinced it's the key to not falling into the mistakes that i fell into when i was 20 years old um, and some people fall into it at 30 and 40. You're welcome to. Um, if you want brothers to hold you accountable, somebody to talk to, somebody to help you make connections in your professional life, in your love life, in your, um, in your uh, fitness journey, this is the place for you. So check that out on my Twitter page. That's what I'm working on right now. Well, Skylar, really appreciate you uh, coming on, sharing your journey with us. Uh, I believe you're going to stick around. Join me in the smoky, smoke-filled room and and, uh, talk about some weirder stuff. But thank you for coming on. Thank you for being on my show. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure, man. Thanks, Mark. All right, gang. And that does it for this week's episode. Or does it? Does it? Does it? Does it do it? It doesn't totally do it. Wow, that was a lot. I'm just going to keep going because, you know, this is me. This is the real me. I fumble around. I say weird stuff, right? And we said even more weird stuff, as I always do with my guests in the smoke-filled room bonus segment. What you heard here today was only the warm-up act in many ways. Uh, We have a full 90-minute edition of this episode available behind the paywalls. Again, as I mentioned, you can support me on Rockfin. What's great about Rockfin is, well, A, if you're already over there, you don't really need to do anything. Anything. You're already on there. You can just go watch the shows there because on Rockfin, you get access to not just my content if you subscribe, but through everybody's content. I will ask if you're not on Rockfin yet and want to support me that you do join through my show because I do get credit for those memberships. Otherwise, you can head over to Patreon, head over to Subscribestar. I release all of these episodes in their full, complete edition to my premium subscribers on those platforms. Uh, if you are not a premium subscriber, no hard feelings. I'm happy to have you here. Happy to have you listening to these public editions of the show. Ways you can help me in that case. Well, there are many. You can share the show, of course. I'm tweeting stuff out constantly. You can t- follow me at Mark Claire Show. Again, if you don't know how to spell my name, which is quite possible, people get it wrong all the time. My name is Mark, M-A-R-C, last name Claire, C-L-A-I-R, MarkClaire.com is where you can find links to everything I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, my Twitter is, the, is the where I'm most active 
at Mark Claire Show. Uh, of course, leaving reviews, particularly on Apple Podcasts, five star ratings and great reviews are huge, especially in these very early growth stages. Uh, so if you're listening right now, if you don't want to be a premium sub, or even if you do, I really, really would ask you to take just three minutes out of your time. Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, just head over there. Drop that five-star rating. That great review does wonders uh, for helping this show grow. Um, and you know, doesn't cost you anything. Just a couple of minutes of your time. A couple minutes for an hour show. It seems like a fair trade to me. Uh, but regardless of how you support the show, even if it's just listening right now, I really, really appreciate all of you being here with me each and every week. You will find me every single Monday across all the platforms, which again, you can find over at markclair.com. Until next week, kids, in case I don't see you, good afternoon. Good evening and good night.